Robert. Do you want to brass some Carson Sestouli? This is Fangraphs Audio. My guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio was formerly served as the managing editor of SB Nation Cardinals website, Viva Albertos. SB Nation Cardinals website, Viva Albertos. Currently serves as a senior writer for Fangraphs.com is Craig Edwards. Craig Edwards is the guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio. And for this edition of Fangraphs Audio, uh, what Craig Edwards is doing is reporting from a safe house somewhere between his home in Chicago, Illinois, and Miller Park in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. It's a manner of undisclosed location in the state of Wisconsin. And uh, he is here because he actually had, uh, when I spoke with Craig, he had just attended uh, Game 1 of the NLDS between the Milwaukee Brewers and Colorado Rockies and was about to attend Game 2 of the NLDS between the Milwaukee Brewers and Colorado Rockies. And here he provides not uh, just a report on Game 1 and or preview of Game 2, but also a broader examination of that series and also of the sport of baseball generally in this edition of the program. We discuss Craig Council's game plan for that Game 1 of the NLDS, the first five innings of which uh, were thrown by Brandon Woodruff and Corbin Burns, two players who had combined for fewer than 100 career Major League innings. I think I'm saying that correctly. Fewer than 100 career Major League innings previous to that game. It was a plan that worked out well for Council, despite the struggles of Brewers close with Jeremy Jeffress. Still worked out. Also the topic of the playoffs, Edwards wrote a piece regarding the Cubs. Regarding the Cubs, who of course lost the National League's wildcard game to the Rockies. And it was a piece in which he said that the Chicago Cubs were not a dynasty. They did, they did not constitute a dynasty, despite indications a couple years ago that they were on their way to forming one. What I ask Edwards to do here is something they did not do in that piece, which is to provide a definition of a dynasty, a task he avoids as vigorously as possible. Finally, I also ask uh, Edwards in this edition of the program, which club, if it were to sign zero players this offseason, what are the best chance of winning in 2019? Craig is on record as saying the Cubs would be well off. Would they be the best off? What about a club like the Astros, the Dodgers, Red Sox, etc.? All those points addressed in what follows. Uh, there's also, we have a heartfelt moment. I asked Craig Edwards. I said if Fangraphs were ever to cease recording and being published for uh, the benefit of the public, you know, what do you think the, what do you think the consequences would be? Here's Edwards' answer. You really can't compensate for... For that, for that potential loss. It feels good, Craig Edwards. Thank you. It feels good. We'll get to that conversation with Craig Edwards momentarily. But first, it is both my pleasure and also my professional obligation to announce that Fangraphs memberships exist for a reasonable sum. Readers of Fangraphs.com can support the great work that appears in those electronic pages. And for a slightly less reasonable sum, not unreasonable, but slightly less reasonable, those same readers or different readers, alternatively different readers, can acquire what is known as an ad-free membership, which allows one to browse Fangraphs.com without the burden of banner ads, not only facilitating faster loading speeds, but also liberating one from the tyranny and the distortive effects of advertising. Fangraphs membership and ad-free membership, available only at Fangraphs.com by going to that URL. And clicking on membership, there's almost certainly a button, an electronic button that says membership, on which you would click. All right, with that advertisement now complete, let us move on to our conversation. What is it? It's Fangraphs Audio. Who does it feature? Senior writer Craig Edwards, live on tape from a safe house in Wisconsin. And when does it begin? Right now. You're not a. I try not to be. <laughs> I think you actually. Uh, I would describe you as fairly level-headed. Do you think that's a fair assessment? That's a fair assessment. Okay. I'll agree with you. 
Okay, I appreciate it. Uh, hey, Craig, you're here today, well, for a number of reasons, but um, I have some interest in talking about playoff baseball, postseason baseball, I suppose, and then uh, other sundry matters that you've addressed in the electronic pages of Fangraphs. So with your consent, Craig, uh, I, would like to, I would like to continue. Uh, you can continue. Consent granted. Very good. Uh, hey, you were at the you were at game one of the uh, one of the NLDS series last night. Yeah, the one that was a bit more interesting, uh, in my opinion. It worked out pretty well. Yeah, yeah. In terms of uh, maximum entertainment, and I guess also in terms of well, I'm probably uh, revealing my rooting interests. Although I think that uh, it would not be unfair for a member of Fangraphs to root, root, root for the Brewers if for no other reason than. Um, Fangraphs alumnus August Fagerstrom is part of that uh, team's front office. Yep. He's yeah. uh, not necessarily the architect, but he's, I don't know, a builder. He's a builder, yeah. Well, uh, and that was weird, too, because we would always go on, you know, we would meet in Arizona or whatever, and he'd always be wearing a hard hat. Yes. And we, ne- we never knew why, did we? And, and the gigantic belt, too. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. He always he had a utility belt on and a bright yellow hard hat. And uh, it was always awkward, but I guess we fig- finally figured out why. You, uh, I'm going to ask you a question that might be, I might Im- exclude many people immediately, but it's one that is appealing to me. And so I assume it includes at least one other person because I'm not that special. And that is uh, you uh, essentially, I guess, had the task yesterday of writing a game report, what is also known as a gamer, um, in response to you were, you were at Miller Park. And um, you ended up essentially, uh, here's how I'd characterize it, you almost attempted to uh, reverse engineer Craig Council's plan by looking at what he did. Obviously, he did not personally share his notes with you, but you looked at the usage of Brandon Woodruff in the starting role, how he utilized the bullpen. You looked at, obviously, he, he did not command Christian Yelich to hit a home run, but we know some of Christian Yelich's strengths, and uh, he showed... Uh, at least one of them yesterday, and then also uh, the use of Jeremy Jeffers and the kind of contingency plan based on that. But I guess my question to you is, uh, what was your approach in, uh, was it always going to be that you were going to try and figure out what the plan was for the Brewers, or or did you have to go in, I guess, with a sort of a more vague sense of, of what you'd eventually produce? Well, you know, I, I, you know I, I had my laptop open and a number of tabs, and I just sort of took notes on things that were of interest to me and, and how things were going. You know, I I paid attention a lot to, to what Brandon Woodruff was doing just because he was the Brewers' chosen starter over guys who had started for them during the year. And mm-hmm. so I was interested to see how he pitched, and it turned out he, he pitched very well. And then they went to somebody who, you know, hadn't, hadn't pitched a whole lot for the team uh, in Corbin Burns, and then he pitched really well. And then... You know that once they got into the sixth inning, then it was sort of the sort of the same routine that that they used on on Monday against the Cubs, and then except they did not use Jeremy Jeffress uh, against the Cubs, and so up until that point, I mean, it, it seemed like everything was working uh, according to plan. Then things went went off the rails a little bit with with Jeffress, and then they ended up winning the game. I, I don't know that if Colorado had scored another run and won the game then it i think it would have been easy to transition to a you know the plan worked out well and then everything fell apart well i guess it would have been this sort of turning point of the game would have you'd have had to address the usage of jeffress i suppose i mean not that you didn't uh but the this sort of game did not um, did not necessarily force one to address the Jeffers situation. But I, I have to think that there's a bit of concern, right? Now, I, I believe speaking with counsel before the game, you found out that 
the reason they the the club rested Jeffers against the Cubs was because what he wanted to have one of his kind of um, elite relievers available wasn't that right yeah so when they were playing the cubs if they had lost they were going to play the next day and so um i think he wanted one of the at least one pitcher of his main guys you know knable and hater to be available not on a back-to-back day if they had to pitch in the wild card game and so it turned out that jeffress was that guy and then, you know, because he didn't pitch, uh, you know, he was he was asked about, you know, if there was something wrong. And he was pretty adamant that, you know, there was nothing wrong and he was fine. And then in the game, it it, it seemed like maybe he he wasn't fine. Uh, his velocity was down a little bit. And uh, it's 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 hard to say if that's because, you know, maybe it's because he hadn't pitched in, you know, basically a week or, you know, something Something like that, or, or maybe it's just been a really long season, and uh, he is, you know, coming towards the end of his rope after after a ton of usage. But uh, his velocity was down a little bit, and uh, it'll be interesting to see if the Brewers in the same situation go to him again. I think that they might, but I don't know that I would advise it. Right. So they they started the game with Brandon Woodruff, who I think what entering entering today had recorded four starts all season. And they followed him up with Corbin Burns. Together, those two threw fewer than 100 innings in the major leagues this year. And yet, uh, they, you know, they pitched the, what you would say, yeah, I mean, literally they pitched half of the innings in this particular game and they essentially functioned in a, almost in a piggyback role. Yeah, yeah, it was something that, you know, some teams do in their minor leagues. Uh, you'll see, you know, maybe a double header if you're not getting a day off, you know, that 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 sort of thing mm-hmm. um but both both Woodruff and and Burns had started a lot of games this year uh but they were just in the minors and not in the majors if you were to say and this is this would be a sort of interesting question to work as a poll as well but I'll ask uh well you're an n of one Craig Edwards I've always said that about you <laughs> it's always ask... been it's always been true as far <laughs> as I know let me say let me ask you this as you noted Craig Council did not necessarily use Woodruff in what we would think of as a uh, sort of orthodox opener role. This is not Sergio Romo pitching one inning and vacating the game, or even a, a more extreme example, wasn't it, where the uh, the Brewers used a lefty one-out guy to record a single alone out <laughs> to start the game and then departed? Well, it was just Matt Carpenter, and that was it, right? Right. That was yeah. Dan Jennings, who yeah. is not even on the roster for the right. Brewers. Right, okay. But it, it did seem clear that the plan was wasn't to stick with Woodruff very long, so it, it this is at least some kind of like hybrid bullpen game, right? Right. I, I think that, you know, you look at, you know, how well he did. He didn't give up a hit. He gave up only one walk, and that guy was erased on a stolen base. There couldn't possibly have been a situation where he was going to go more than three innings if you take him out when he's in the middle of a no-hitter. So I, I the, the plan could not have possibly been to go more than three innings. His spot came up in the bottom of the third. He was pinch hit four, and and that was it. I think that maybe there were probably some contingencies if he, you know, pitched poorly. Um, mm-hmm. You know, maybe they go to Burns earlier. Maybe they go to some other reliever earlier to get through the first five innings. But I, I don't see how any sort of plan involving Woodruff was going to last more than three, right. That which is what happened. So with that in mind... It's, it seems as though there was uh, maybe less 
pearl clutching uh, than one might have assumed, given given the sort of uh, usage plan with which Craig Council and the Brewers entered the game. That there's the, the idea of of removing a pitcher after three innings, despite the fact that, as you note, he has a no hitter. I mean, I, three innings is really even long enough to say a pitcher has a no hitter. That's just three hitless innings at that point. What do you think was, if you look back, what do you think is maybe the moment or maybe the a couple of events? that turned the tide where this is concerned, where where not just maybe people within baseball, but uh, people who are tasked with covering it might regard this as a as a reasonable option as opposed to uh, something residing out on the sort of avant-garde of analysis. Well, I, I think that, you know, the Brewers are in sort of a unique situation. They don't have any particularly strong uh, starting pitchers, and their strongest starting pitcher had just pitched on Monday. You know, if if you got, you know, like if you take the Dodgers, for example, they have Hyunjin Ryu and Clayton Kershaw tonight and Walker Bueller. You know, that's not something that they need or would prefer to do. They they have pitchers. They don't need a, a guy to come in and pitch the fourth and fifth inning because they have starters who are capable of, of, of doing that. I think that generally teams who navigate a 162-game regular season well enough to to make the playoffs are going to have the type of quality starters uh that that you would want in a playoff game where you wouldn't need to do this the brewers you know are are in the unique situation of of not quite having that and if if a team could get to to the playoffs um and maybe their starter situation isn't isn't what they would like i i think that this is a a reasonable way to to try and try and get through that you know, it's interesting, as you note, this is a team, the, the Brewers, that has, obviously has a lot of talent. That talent is not particularly, it is not particularly concentrated in the rotation, right? But I think back to other teams from the past, and I think probably the one that sticks out for me is the, I think it was the 1991, sorry, the 1999 Cleveland Indians. They played, I think that they lost to the Red Sox in a series that saw a lot of runs score. And I don't necessarily remember the entirety of the Cleveland rotation, but I do remember that it was not great. And it featured a lot of, oh, I don't know, a lot of Charles Nagy, maybe. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, th- I guess Bartolo Colon pitched for that team too, but he, uh, looking at it now, he allowed nine runs in nine innings during that series. Dave Burba started a game and uh, went four scoreless innings, but he didn't strike anyone out. Paul Shuey was also responsible for another start. It seemed like if there had been, I don't know, a greater familiarity with this strategy, maybe greater comfort, you know, maybe among the, the coaching staff, at least, that there are teams in the past that if you were just to, if you were to, to have the same personnel, but you were to deploy it differently, that the, the outcomes could have been different as well. That is, that, is that a reasonable, is that a reasonable claim, do you think? Uh, it, It's reasonable. I also think that it's, easier to do now because i think that there's more talented relievers available mm-hmm. you know in in 1999 for example baseball had just gone through two cycles of expansion and that's going to sort of thin out the talent level a little bit and you know it's been another 20 years and there's been you know increased investment in the dominican republic and um there's the American population has grown. The the American population has grown. Uh, presumably, we know more about uh, health and training, and you know, recovery from injuries and that sort of thing. And so, the talent base to which you can procure these 
talented pitchers who maybe aren't your, you know, Clayton Kershaw, some Max Scherzer's and, you know, Justin Verlander's, you know, the, the pitchers who, you know, you perceive as the sort of workhouse guy, workhorse guys that, that go six and seven innings, you know, you can find a, a lot of guys who, who throw 95 to 98 miles an hour, who can do it 20 pitches at a time or 40 pitches at a time. Uh, and, possible that not as many of those guys were available to teams 20 years ago and you know you end up with Dave Burba and Paul Shuey or you know whatever it is whereas now you have uh the the Brewers happen to have two future starting pitchers uh presumably in in Woodruff and Burns that they were able to go to for a few innings and start a game and they may not have had those players in the system 20 years ago Right. Yeah. It is. Yeah. It is strange too. I know that uh, we actually just published today uh, an interview by David Lorla uh, with the Cleveland pitching coach Carl Willis, and he he says, you know, he notes that I think in in his words he said every time the bullpen door opens, there's a guy who steps out who's who's throwing ninety seven, ninety eight, and I, you know, that that might be a slight exaggeration, but it is also reflective of reality, which is obviously there's a lot more velocity and there's a lot more velocity in bullpen arms. I also I have noticed. Uh, just as someone who is uh, tasked, you know, by dint of employment, with uh, with keeping up to some degree on the uh, the players on uh, major leagues twenty five man rosters, that keeping track of relievers has become difficult in a way that I do not remember really. In the sense that, like, well, I mean, uh, you know, last night was an example. You saw, I mean, DJ Johnson, who I think uh, was was put on the playoff roster, the, the division series roster in John Gray's place. He earned some time on the mound in game one of the NLDS. He entered that game with just over six innings, six and a third innings of major league experience. And uh, he averaged 94 miles per hour on his fastball uh, in those six innings. I actually I don't have a record of how hard he was throwing yesterday, but I assume it was mid-90s. Yeah. I, I don't know. How how familiar were you with DJ Johnson before he strode to the mound yesterday? Uh, not very familiar. Um, <laughs> and, and in fact, uh, somebody had asked Bud Black, I, I think maybe not in so many words, you know, who is who is this guy when they're talking about the roster decisions because they left off John Gray. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Johnson was the guy who's the sort of beneficiary of, of that decision. And, you know, he's nearly 30 years old and has pitched i i think he's pitched in the rocky system for the past few years maybe and you know he's started striking out a lot of guys and you know earned a promotion at the end of the season and you know the the rockies bullpen hasn't exactly been a, a strength for them for a lot of the year uh so he, he got himself an opportunity yeah i was going to ask about that obviously there were some high profile failures in that bullpen right i mean jake mcgee brian shaw uh, are two examples. I think probably Wade Davis had a season. Wade Davis was fine, right? But maybe not. Maybe not dominant. Yeah, if Wade Davis, you know, was a seventh inning guy, you probably would view his season as a disappointment. But mm-hmm. because he was the closer and, and got a lot of saves, uh, his season maybe looked better. And then he also had a really good September, which sort of helps going into to the playoffs. I think that overall his, his season was, was okay, but he's pitching pitching well now. Right. So then there's like this a whole score of pitchers in the bullpen who have been quietly pretty good and who are, are probably good at the right time at this point. But uh, we saw one of them in DJ Johnson, 
who struck out a bunch of people in a you know a limited sample. But also uh, Sung Wan Oh has been pretty good since coming over from uh, what in a trade with Toronto, I believe. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. Yeah, uh, Scott Oberg, who is not um, you know I mean everyone's a household name in some household. But uh, he covers a, a less wide swath uh, than others. But he he has also been one of the more proficient members of the bullpen. So it seems as though they have maybe accidentally settled into a, a reasonable bullpen, even though, I mean, we were talking about, you know, the Brewers' capacity to make a plan and execute it. Things have not gone according to plan for this Rockies team in terms of the bullpen, but it actually might be fine now. How do you, yeah. uh, what's that reading? I, I think that they have, uh, you know, in... You know, this day and age, when you talk about you know the Brewers, you know, getting getting a lot of of innings from the bullpen, the 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 Rockies have a, a more traditional bullpen where you sort of need your starter to go six innings, and then if you get to the seventh inning, then then you're fine because you you've got Wade Davis, you've got Adam Ottavino, uh, Sungwon Oh, and and Oberg, and that's plenty for the seventh, eighth, and ninth innings. Um, the they they don't have sort of the situation where you can pull your starter in the second inning and think that you're going to make it to the ninth unscathed. But yeah, uh, oh he he pitched not very well in his second year in St. Louis and had a bit of trouble finding a, a free agent deal. Uh, he had something with Texas that got I don't know a physical problems or something and Toronto signed him and he did fine and and he's really come on at at the end of the year and uh, especially against right handers he's a guy that, that you want in there and and I think that so they have guys at the back end that that are good options for them but the, they're still lacking a, a bit I would think uh in, in the middle innings were were they like too many of us were they, are they soft in the middle would you would you say yes uh speak for yourself though Okay, that's fine. That's right. I forgot you are a uh, you are an Adonis like figure, Craig Edwards. It has escaped. Uh, it escaped my memory. Oh yeah, I want to just uh, b- before we stop talking about this uh, series specifically, I want to ask you about John Gray and as we noted his absence from the roster. John Gray had a strange season, uh, in that everything that would indicate to us that he should be good. I mean, the, the most basic most basic ways that a pitcher exerts control over game. He was he was pretty good. In fact, he was roughly as good as he had been the previous two seasons, right? Like he struck out roughly the same, you know, he struck out batters at roughly the same rate. He walked him at roughly the same rate. He induced ground balls at roughly the same rate. That's mostly what a pitcher can control. He maybe allowed a couple more home runs than he had previously. But all in all, it was not a vastly different season in terms of that, but uh, he allowed a bunch more runs. So, A, why did he allow a bunch more runs? And B, uh, what's do you do you think that he is actually you know, like fundamentally different than he was in the past two years, or do you think that he's in a sense being punished for uh, for circumstances that are out of his control? I, I think that in the first half of the season he was probably just unlucky. I think that he was pitching as well as he had the the previous two seasons, and you know for whatever reason, um, you know the the timing just just got to him and uh you know a lot of balls dropped in play a lot of runs scored and and it just looked really bad and they sent him down to the minors and then he came back and he was pitching essentially the same except uh, the runs stopped scoring and and everything was going fine again and then uh in september you know i i don't know if it's sort of the long season or um i i think 
I think his September wasn't just bad luck. I think that he wasn't pitching as well. Um, and that's part of the reason why he was left off the, the, the playoff roster. I, I don't know exactly what the problem was, uh, towards the end of the season, but, uh, I, I think that it had more to do with, with him than early on in the season when I think that it was, it was probably just bad luck. And, you know, it's, there, there's always a bit of mystery with, with Colorado pitchers and, you know, whether it's, whether going deep in games might be more difficult, whether it's, you know, finishing a long season. And then there's just the, the matter that uh, more balls fall into play at other parks because their outfield is so big and, you know, the, their outfield defense also isn't, phenomenal this season so that's 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 that's, that's, that that, that, that sums it up (laughs) you noted recently to post about i think it was about masahiro tanaka and how the moments that have differentiated tanaka at his best from tanaka struggling have been essentially uh been marked by home runs right now for those who would use expected fip xfip to assess the um you know, something like to assess the performance of a pitcher, the allowance of home runs would not factor in because uh, it's based off of, you know, essentially like the premise that a pitcher allows home runs on a certain number of the balls that he's allowing in the air, right? Yes. Whereas FIP actually does account for home runs. And I believe that you made the point, perhaps, I don't think it was necessarily an explosive point, Craig, uh, but you did make the sense that you, you think that there's some validity to the argument that if a pitcher is allowing home run, home runs in groups, even if his other fielding independent numbers are strong, then it still is uh, a bit of a warning flag and maybe suggests what he's not hitting his spots or something. Yeah, I, I think that it doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to continue to allow home runs at, at the same rate that he had been. And that's obviously been the case throughout Tanaka's career. He's, he's you know, allowed some home runs at some times and, you know, other suppressed them at other times and it sort of evened out. But when, you know, he's using that breaking ball and it's, he's leaving it up. I mean, those, those are, those are bad pitches and those bad pitches, uh, get hit out of the park for home runs. And, and I think that, that FIP represents that in a way that, that XFIP can't, can't quite do. I, I think that home runs aren't, aren't necessarily luck. They represent a pitcher who's, who's pitching poorly. I mean, I, I think that, you know, there are times where, a pitcher maybe isn't allowing any home runs and maybe that there's some luck involved there where maybe balls might have traveled out of the park in other situations, but for whatever reason have not. But uh, with guys like Tanaka, his his success and failure is very much home run dependent. And I, I think it tells you when he's pitching well versus when he's pitching poorly. To the best of your knowledge, are there misses, like you said, like missing on a breaking ball or any any one of his secondary pitches, I guess, are there misses that are more readily converted into home runs, right? Like whether it's a certain pitch type or pitch location where, you know, if, if a pitcher's having success, you wouldn't notice it. But if he is less precise on any given day, then is there a type of pitcher who might suffer the consequences more readily than another? You know, I, I think that if you throw a lot of breaking pitches, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, you hear about, uh, you know, a hanging breaking ball. If you throw a lot of breaking pitches and you throw them four strikes, you know, where 
you know, maybe you're trying to hit the bottom of the zone. You're you're not you're not pitching low and away, get getting the ball out. You know, you're you're throwing the the pitch to get a strike. When it doesn't break, then it usually sits right in the middle of the plate. And and I think that those are the type of pitches that can be capitalized upon. And I think uh, you know, the other one would be uh, maybe a sinker ball pitcher who leaves the ball up. You know, the the sinker is designed to induce contact and get ground balls and you want those very much to be at, at the bottom of the zone but if they're if they're higher a hitter is going to going to be able to get under it and uh, potentially hit a homer and is it also possibly yeah if you're leaving it up that it would actually lead it would fall right into the the path of a normal swing i think as well isn't that right 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 a bit of a downward trajectory yeah okay that's good uh, all that information is good I appreciate it, Craig Edwards. You're not entitled to leave yet, however, though, uh, because I have to ask you about a post you wrote. Well, I guess just after the uh, the Cubs' loss in the in the wild card game, um, you addressed the fact. Well, I guess you asked the question, but I sensed that you had your answer already. <laughs> it was, "Are they a dynasty?" And your answer is no. But it opens up. I guess we, we could dwell on on the this idea of the dynasty with regard to the Cubs. But I'm more interested in general at arriving a definition of dynasty. Uh, more broadly, I asked you that actually while we were after you had submitted your uh, the post. I said, "What is a dynasty?" And uh, you I told said, you to I think, "Cram it." Yeah, and you told you told me some things I think that it wasn't, which is which is a, I believe what is known as an apophatic uh, sort of definition. There's the in theology you sometimes find this a theologian might attempt to describe what God is by by saying what God is not. But so you were essentially you were using an an apophatic argument to just to discuss what a dynasty is not but you i think you conveniently avoided saying what a dynasty is so would you like to repent craig edwards or would you like to further explore it or like a like a prosecutor do you want to ensure that uh, you know what the answers are going to be before you ask them well i mean you're really putting my feet to the fire <laughs> as it were yeah so i i don't i, I think that if you win you know it's 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 really it's really hard because when i look at the giants they won three championships in, you know, a period of five seasons. And if I were to make a definition, I don't know how I wouldn't include that giant team. But I also, for whatever reason, don't don't see them as as dynastic mm-hmm. in, in any way. Well, so that's and that's part of that's part of it, I think, right, is is attempted to reverse engineer our biases, not our necessary biases, but uh, our sort of um, suspicions about this thing, our, in- our intuitions about this. And I think what part of, so you look at it and you say, well, they didn't make, they didn't even make the postseason in between. Right. So you're, I think that your point is, well, f- for it to be a real dynasty, they would have to be consistently that good. Obviously winning titles is part of it, but returning to the postseason in consecutive years should also probably be part of it, is your sense. Yeah, I, I mean, if if somebody made... The World Series three times in four years and won twice. I'd probably think that that was a dynasty. I don't mm-hmm. know. I mean, you know, because you have that consistently high level. Like there was, you you didn't have a drop when when you. I, I feel like when you think of a dynasty, you're you're thinking of somebody who is you know dominating or at a level close to dominating for a number of years, and 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 that that drop, you know. It causes me to, to to question whether or not that the the team is actually a, a dynasty. What are so? What are the dynasties? Now, I think that you granted the what the late nineties 
Yankees, essentially, as a dynasty or the possibility of a dynasty. They had titles in, what, four out of five years? Isn't that right? Yeah, yeah. That's I, I don't see how you could not. How you could create any definition of a dynasty and not put them in it. And they made the playoffs from 95 to 2007. Strong. Yes. (laughs) That's what you want. Although they did really have a long, I guess, championship drought after the uh, the, the 2000 season. Yeah. They were in the playoffs a lot without converting it into championships. Correct. But right. So so what would be the end of the dynasty? Would it be either A, 2000, the and the time of their last series, would it be B, 2007, the end of their consecutive postseason run, or would it be 2009 maybe when they won, or you know, even 2012 because they, they won another series in 2009 and they made it to the playoffs in 2012? Well, and they made the World Series in 2001. So I, I, I think it would be somewhere in the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. And the you know the dynamic of the the team changed you know the you know Bernie Williams and Andy Pettit and you know those guys left even though you know Jeter and Rivera were were still there. Yeah, well, that's what I was also going to ask too. Does that have anything to do with the construction of of the team or the roster? Some some continuity in terms of in terms of personnel. Where you feel like this this play, somehow this player is emblematic of this period in the team's history. Yeah, I, I think that 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 plays a role. Although you know, I think that you know, and I think that that's why a lot of people uh, thought that the Cubs had a shot at a dynasty because they had so many good young players that were going to be around for a while and and have been around for a while. Now, you you said that they are you uh, you said that they are not currently a dynasty, but could they become one? I mean, what if they won a World Series? What if they won a World Series next year? Um, what does what does Craig Edwards say? Given his still slightly ambiguous criteria, you know, I, I I think that you view the the time period in a different light. Whether or not you call it a dynasty, I'm not sure, but I, I think that you view it as a singular run mm-hmm. that that you could you could argue is a dynasty. You know, that when they have all of those years in a row of of being very good and you know bookending it with 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 championships you know i think there's something to be said for that if they you know like what you know what happens if they make the world series next year and then they win the following year you know it's it's hard it's it's still difficult to to put a definition on it and i'm still going to uh run away from from you trying to corner me coward right okay uh coward craig edwards i just have one more question for you now are you wait are you going to be going this is not the question are you going to be going to the brewers game today though yes i will be leaving shortly after we finish here okay all right and you are neither in milwaukee nor in chicago is now you're some sort of intermediate safe house yes i am uh just outside of burlington wisconsin which is about uh 40 miles or so from milwaukee how would people know burlington wisconsin is it famous for anything uh tony romo is from burlington wisconsin is he yep okay all right old burlington you ever been down to the river area and walked along there um i have driven by there they have a place that has some good burgers i can't recall the name of it right now so they don't not they they don't get a plug but (laughs) you wouldn't say that you're like a devotee of burlington you're acquainted with it right yeah okay is it fred's fred's parkview World's best burgers. Yeah, yeah, it does is. that sound right? Uh huh. Yeah, there's an ice cream oh. place too. And then there's a. There's, do you go to the uh, the vape cafe that's right next to Fred's? 
Can't say that I do. <laughs> no? No. Is, is it because there's another vape place in Burlington to which you're more to which you're loyal? That is, that is not the reason. Okay. All right. Just checking. Should be some, some empty storefronts down here. Maybe we go down and get a drink at Zimpano's, though. Get some spaghetti at Zimpano's? What are you, you going to get it down at Zimpano's, you think? I uh, don't know. Yeah, so you're not going down to Zimpano's tonight, doesn't sound like. No. Ristorante and pizzeria down there. Okay, just trying to get a sense of your, you know, how well acquainted you are with Burlington. It looks pretty cute, though, actually. We'll give a thumbs up to Burlington. Oh, yes. Uh, last question is this. You mentioned, I think, uh, with regard to the Cubs, that they could carry basically the same roster into 2019, and they would be competitive immediately, right? Yeah. Even accounting for all uh, whichever players they're going to lose. And I'm actually not sure who's departing. Daniel Murphy? Is Daniel Murphy departing? Daniel Murphy is departing. Yeah. But Hayward will be around. Rizzo will be around. Baez will be around. Bryant will be around. They have uh, Almora will be around. A lot of uh, a lot of their um, their roster remain intact. And I think basically, for better or worse, their rotation. Tyler Chatwood is still in the team, but uh, he's under contract. Yes. Yeah, he'll he'll do something. Presumably, they'll be paying him, compensating him handsomely. But then uh, also Lester will be there. Hendricks, etc. And Jose Catana still under contract. True or false? True. True. Okay. So that's a lot of the team. So you you could without making any particularly special acquisitions, the Cubs could, in your estimation, compete next year in the NL Central. That is correct. That is correct. I was going to ask you, and now I'm about to ask you, so be prepared. What team, if they were to make zero changes between next year, or between this, you know, right now and next year, that is, they were to add no one, but they would be losing whichever players uh, to free agency, wh- which team would be the most competitive without doing anything? I have to imagine that it's Houston. Hmm. You know, Carlos Correa, Alex Bregman, Jose Altuve, George Springer. That's quite a core. That They are losing Dallas Keuchel at the end of the season and Charlie Morton, which, uh, well, I mean, they're not necessarily losing them, but in, in this hypothetical that you posed, uh, yes. they're, they're off the team. Right. So uh, I think it's probably Houston, uh, even with the, the losses to, to their rotation, because they would still have, you know, Cole and McCullers and Verlander. Yeah, you know, I'm just trying to think of, of of the other teams that you know the 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 Dodgers are about to lose potentially Clayton Kershaw, and you know, I guess getting Corey Seager back would sort of mitigate that. But you know, you really can't compensate for for that for that potential loss. You know, the the Braves will be good probably. Same with the Phillies. I, I think. Cleveland, it's a, it's an interesting question because they're good right now, but you know they they didn't win as many games as you might have thought this season with as talented of a roster as as they have. And then you know, the the Red Sox and the Yankees will be up there, but running through this list, you know, Wahi will be good probably, but they'll still have rotation issues next year. So nothing has convinced me that that it's not Houston. Okay. That is where things stand with Craig Edwards and his opinion on which team would be the best without adding anyone and also losing uh, all the relevant free agents. But uh, what that does, Craig Edwards, is it brings us to the end of your obligatory time on Fangraphs Audio. Fantastic. Yeah, it is pretty fantastic, and you have to get your your body to uh, Milwaukee, it sounds like. You'll be departing from beautiful Burlington, Wisconsin. Yeah, technically Wheatland, but... Burlington, Wisconsin, your favorite place to get a burger and then go vaping. I suppose. So thank you, Craig Edwards, for joining us. That has been Craig Edwards 
senior, what are you, a senior writer? Let's say you're a senior writer. Does that feel good? Yeah, it feels great. Yeah, senior writer for Fangraphs.com. I'm Carson Testuli, and this has been Fangraphs Audio. Mm-hmm.